Hey, Deal Farm listeners. In today's show, we talk about the ins and outs of rehabbing real estate. Welcome to the Deal Farm Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tricks to help make you a better real estate investor. Your show hosts are Ken Corsini, star of the HGTV show Flipper Flop Atlanta, and Mike Hambright, founder of FlipNerd.com one of the nation's leading websites for real estate investors with over 100,000 subscribers. Ready to talk real estate? Let's start today's show. Hey folks, welcome to The Deal Farm. This is Ken Corsini and I'm here with my buddy Mike Hambright. Mike, how you doing? Good, good. What's up, Ken? Oh, you know, man, just getting excited about rehabbing houses. It's something I know a little bit about. Yeah, you know a thing or two about it, huh? Yeah, we've had a little bit of experience. It might have even been documented on television at one time or another. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd love to see it someday. <laughs> yeah, you should check it out. <laughs> awesome, everybody. Hey, we're going to talk about rehabbing in our last episode. In our last episode, say that. I'm sorry, can't say that again. I was going to give you a bad time. I was just oh. curious. Have you even watched any of our shows? I have. I have. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Sure. I'm going to ask your wife. See if you're lying or not. No, no, no. I didn't say that my wife watched them, but I've watched them. You watched them, okay? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, I feel much better. We can proceed with the episode. <laughs> Everybody, we're going to talk about rehabbing today. In the last episode, we talked about uh, wholesaling. So these are all things that we call exit strategies. When you find a deal, which is the we've already kind of told you is generally the hardest part of this business. Um, what are you going to do with it? You could wholesale it. You could rehab it. You could keep it with it for a rental. Um, those are the most common strategies. But today we're talking about rehabbing and. Obviously, uh, Ken has an HGTV show that talks all all about this, and and I've rehabbed a couple hundred houses myself. So, not never good enough to have a TV crew follow me around, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's it's funny because early on in my career, our our rehabs consisted of like the fifteen thousand dollar rent ready, like yeah. just enough to get a tenant in there and maybe right. pass an inspection. And I, I feel like every year our rehab budgets are getting bigger and bigger. Our projects are getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And where this year, by far, these are the biggest projects we do. I mean, they're, I feel like on average our houses are between eighty and $100,000 rehabs now. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, clearly on some of the shows you're adding on, you're doing some structural stuff. I mean, obviously your budgets go up quite a bit when you start to do those things, right? Yes. Yeah, that's true. And, and part of it's where we're buying right now. Where it just who happens that where the deals are in Atlanta are in town where the houses are just old. You're buying, you know, yeah. 80 houses that just need a lot of work. So that's a big part of that. Right, right. Yep. So let's, you know, when you talk about real estate investing, getting started in real estate investing, a lot of people are excited about uh, real estate investing because of shows like yours, right? They've They've watched you take uh, some disgusting house and turn it into the nicest house on the street. And, and as, we, as we've talked about in past episodes, hey, there, there's a business behind this that's finding leads, that's you have bookkeepers. There's a whole part of the business that you generally don't see on the shows, right? But talk a little bit about just rehabbing because I think most people, it kind of goes without saying what that is. It's taking something and fixing it up. But maybe, maybe spend a minute and talk a little bit about from a business standpoint, what you what some of the things you don't see on the show that are important? Yeah, no, that's. I think the show probably does glamorize. I'm sure it does. It glamorizes it a little bit, makes it look easier than it actually is, and you really don't see all the working components behind the scenes that make this business tick. Um, you know, for us, finding for really it starts with finding the deals before there you can even have a house to flip. You got to figure out where you're going to find your house. So we've got. A handful, actually three full-time dedicated people in our office that are just 
dedicated to acquisitions, finding those good deals. I know we talked about lead generation on a previous episode, but that's a big part of it. And then once you find the deal, you've, ha- you, you've got to figure out how much your costs are. And I can tell you this to me is the most important part of, of rehabbing or being a flipper is getting your costs right on the, on the front end when you're estimating a house. Because if you estimate it wrong and you end up making a purchase, that's really where you end up getting your losses. Right, it's, right. Have you estimated your numbers correctly? And what I mean by estimating your numbers is how much are your repairs going to be? But in addition to that, how much can you sell the house for? What is the ARV, which stands for after repaired value? Yep. If you can't, if you can't put those two numbers together accurately, you're toast. Those are yeah. by far the most, the two most important pieces of information you need. Hey, Deal Farm listeners, if you're actively doing deals already and looking to take your business to a whole new level, I've got an incredible opportunity for you. There's nothing that has accelerated growth in my business more than surrounding myself with other successful real estate investors. My co-hosts of the Deal Farm podcast, Mike Hambright and I have started a powerful mastermind for active real estate investors called Investor Fuel. If you'd like to learn more about this incredible opportunity only available for those actively doing deals, please go to dealfarm.net forward slash mastermind. If it looks like a fit, you can request your invitation to join us at one of our upcoming meetings where you'll be surrounded with dozens of other active investors, all actively doing deals. In fact, some of our current members have done hundreds of deals and will share their knowledge, tips, and tricks with you. Just go to dealfarm.net forward slash mastermind to learn more and request your invitation today. Hope to see you at our next mastermind meeting. Well, let's talk about maybe kind of walk us through what you do to calculate the after repaired value, what you think you could sell the house for after you do repairs. And and, and I want to kind of just put this out up front is that, um, you know, what Ken's going to share with you here is a systematic approach to figure out what houses will sell for in your neighborhood. What you want to make sure you never do is try to I don't know about I don't know about you, Ken. Maybe you guys do this a little bit more where you're at. I never try to recreate the wheel. Like I don't want to say, hey, all these houses are selling for two hundred thousand, but I'm gonna build this awesome deck off the back and it'll be worth two fifty. Like, and nobody else has done that. Like I don't want to be a trailblazer to try yes. to sell at higher market values. I just want to look at what has actually happened in the same neighborhood and try to kind of do what they did, right? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying hundred percent. It's funny because yeah. one of my acquisition guys I'll catch them sometimes being overly optimistic. Yeah. Like, but but I think if we make it, you know, the square footage and you go price per square, but I'm like, but nothing has sold for this price before. That's uncharted territory. Right, that right. I not necessarily be there. But uh, you know, to to your point, what we want to do is see what other houses have sold for. Obviously, you're looking at their square footage, you're looking at the number of beds and baths, you're looking for any any sort of uh, Maybe intangible factors like a freeway running through the backyard or is it right next to a shopping center or is it the first house in the neighborhood or, or is it on a busy road where some of the other comparables are not on a busy road. You want to take all of that into consideration before you determine, okay, I think this is what we can sell this house for. And again, when you're talking about ARV, it's after repaired value. So the, the, the next question is, well, what are you repairing on the house? What are you renovating? What What is the house going to look like when you're really coming up with this? And, and that's another place where we've gotten stung before where there wasn't good communication between our estimating of the work we were going to do and what the ARV was. So 
you know, determining up front, okay, I've got, let's say you're going to put $50,000 in this house. Well, how far is $50,000 going to go into fixing up this house? Right. Is it just making everything structural, but you still got green shag carpet in the, in the living room? Then <laughs> that's not really bringing it up to current standards. Are you putting like a pimped out kitchen in there, pimped out baths, or are you leaving some original tile and you're leaving the original linoleum and, and laminate countertops? I mean, those yep. are all really important factors to determine what it's ultimately going to be worth. Yeah. And are those uh, uh, are those the way that you explain uh, things in houses? You, you, you like to say they're pimped out, right? So Yes. <laughs> they are totally pimped out. That's how, yeah. I think that's a, it's a, it's a, that's a technical, that's a, that's a, that's a construction word. <laughs> it's in the, it's in the code, code book, I think actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, for sure. You want to, like, like we said, you don't want to recreate the wheel here. What, what kind of advice can you give to people that are looking at comps, which are comparable sales, like the mm-hmm. ML, MLS data, you're looking for things that have sold on the MLS. You're not using Zillow or anything else that's some sort of estimate online. You're looking at actual real data from the MLS, which if you don't have access, you got to find a way to get it through a realtor or somebody that you're working with. But what are you looking for when you look at those comps to try to figure out what your value is? Uh, I, well, let me say you, you brought up a great point. Do ne- never trust some automated you know, opinion of value that right. some algorithm generated. You, it has to be a person who's looking at this and deciphering all this data to make a, a good determination on the ARV. But so again, we're looking at uh, houses within proximity. So you usually, obviously, want to be as close as possible. So if it's in a subdivision, look in that subdivision. Right. If you, if it's not, you have to go outside that subdivision. Maybe you go a half mile out. Maybe you need to go a full mile out. Just depends on how how densely populated that that particular area is. Look at the style of the house. Are they similar, you know, to, to the comparable properties? Is yours really ugly compared to theirs? Or are they kind of the same? You know, obviously looking at square footage. You're looking at whether there's a basement. You're looking at whether the yard's nice or not. You're looking at the number of beds and baths. You're just really trying to de- to determine is this truly a comparable property? And if there's something about that house that's nicer. Well, how much can you attribute to that house in terms of it being nicer or the other way around? Maybe my house has a, an extra you know, half acre. So my, maybe the house I'm looking at is a little bit bigger. Maybe it's got a basement. The other ones don't. So how much more value can you attribute to that compared to your comparables? Again, it's very, it's very subjective, just like appraisals are subjective. Yeah. I mean, I've seen appraisals come in you know, $50,000 apart. Just because yeah. it's subjective, what is it, what one person thinks it's worth is different than the next person. Yeah, I think, and I think you'd agree with me. The important thing is, as an investor, is to, you know, not fall so much in love with the deal that you're subjective uh, away from being conservative. Right? Like you want to be conservative. You yeah. don't want to. If you assume like if all the stars are aligned, this could happen. If all yes. the stars are aligned on my rehab and it comes in cheaper than what we think, then that'll be good. To where all the stars have to be aligned across the ARV. The time of year, the repairs, that nothing else is going to go wrong that you thought was going to go wrong in order for you to make money because then you're you're probably not going to make money. Yeah, if, uh, if anything, always assume the worst. Yeah. I think you're spot on. You should always be conservative. Um, and then when you're getting your estimates, uh, who's doing your estimates for you? I guess that's the next question. Are you just trying to pull numbers out of your rear end or you have an actual contractor there? Or do you, you know, you know somebody that really knows numbers well, but this is where you have to spend a lot of time looking at the house, deciding what upgrades and repairs need to be made and putting really good numbers on that. 
And then even after everything's been added up, then throw a big fat contingency number on top of that because yeah. there's always going to be things that you don't account for. And then use a very conservative rehab number in, in determining you know, how much you're going to need to spend. Yeah. How often do things go wrong that you didn't plan on for you, Ken, in your rehabs? Uh, pretty much every time. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, this is, this is no joke. I can't make this up real time. Uh, we bought a house last week. We're, we're actually keeping this one as a rental. And uh, it needed very, very little work. So we didn't really have anything on our budget because we're just going to more of like a make ready. I just got an email as we're sitting here. Don't want to get distracted from the show, but uh, it says, <laughs> this is what it says. Sewer line is leaking all over the street. There is sewage in the yard. <laughs> Photos to follow. Like, here we go. Perfect example of like, we didn't know there was a sewer line problem, but here we are. We got to deal with it, right? Oh, my gosh. It's always the ones, too, that you feel like are going to be the lipstick deals. <laughs> right, right. That always sting you with something massive like a, yeah, like a sewage leak. Yep, yep. That's so funny. Well, what, what talks about, let's talk a little bit about kind of rehabbing yourself. Like, a lot of times, this is another issue that uh, newer investors have is they're like, well, I'll just get in there and do some of the work myself. Even if you're capable of doing it, like, you have your time to consider, right? You should, maybe you should be out finding other deals or enjoying yeah. your life more or whatever it might be. But just talk about how you make that decision to hire out things versus doing it yourself. Yeah, I, here's what I always say is what is your time worth? Right. And if you're out there at your rehab doing a job that you could pay somebody 12 bucks an hour to do, then you're valuing your own time at 12 bucks an hour. It's as simple as that. Right. Because you, your highest and best use of your, of your personal time is probably outspent finding, locating, and, and negotiating new deals rather than doing work on your house. Honestly, even if you can hire somebody to do something for 20 bucks an hour and you're still doing it yourself, well, my, I would argue that your time is still better spent doing something else than out there swinging a hammer or laying tile or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I know with, for you, you're uh, you're you know you, you're uh, a contractor as well. You're like a licensed contractor, but you don't you're not you don't do it so that you can do the work. You do it more so that you know what needs to be done, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, in terms of we obviously we can pull permits in my name because I'm a licensed contractor. Right. But yeah, you want to you want to be able to know everything that you don't want a contractor pulling the wool over your eyes. You want to understand right. what's going on. And make sure that you understand that the, what you're paying them is appropriate and that the work they're doing is appropriate. So you do want to have some know-how. And if you're brand brand spanking new at this, then you want to have a contractor that you have vetted thoroughly that you really, really trust. Maybe that's come highly recommended from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And then this next question I'm going to ask you, I bet we could probably talk about this for hours, but how do you find good contractors? Oh my gosh. That is a $20 million question. <laughs> They got to come referred. I mean, my, you have, they have to come from somebody that you've done, that you know personally, yeah, and that has done business with them, and that they've had good experiences with. If, if, yeah. if you're flying blind, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, I always say the same thing. You never want to be the guinea pig with your own wallet. Like you don't want to find somebody on Craigslist that says that they're a, they're good at this or that, and you're going to find out on your own dime. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I would say this too about uh, flipping is um, you be careful that you're not going into a deal planning on doing so much of the work yourself that that's the only way the deal works. Right. Because I think there's a lot of people that think, hey, let's me and my buddy, we're going to go flip a house together. We're going to spend weekends out there doing the work ourselves. I mean, you've interviewed a lot of people. I've interviewed a lot of people. Have you ever heard a successful story where somebody was like spent their weekends in a house trying to do the work themselves? Not once, no. 
Not once. I mean, it's, it, those are always the stories that, oh, it was the worst experience ever. We tried to do it ourselves. And it just doesn't work. You have to have, I think, reliable contractors or subcontractors. Yeah. And even people I know from going to meet up, like RIA clubs or other events, like when you hear people that are rehabbing it themselves sometimes, they're, they're usually like in month five or six of the rehab. It's like right. if you didn't do that yourself, that could have been done in three weeks, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and what I hear about rehab projects that have stretched on and on, to me, that just screams holding costs and lost yeah. money. And so I think let's not talk about it in this episode. Maybe one of the upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about financing and funding your flips. And right, what does that right. look like and, and where do you get the money to do that? Because most, most people don't just have the cash to buy a house and put up the rehab dollars. Yep. Uh, you know, they've got to find that money somewhere. So yeah. where, do you get, where do you source that money and what does that look like? What's a, what's a good price for that money? Here's bottom line though, is if you're, if you're really interested in getting into fixing and flipping houses, if you want to be into rehabbing, which there, there's a lot of money to be made in it. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of money there. If you become good at it is get educated. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to get educated is to either get coaching, join a mastermind, read a bunch of books or lose a bunch of money. <laughs> right. Right. That'll help you learn real fast. That's the, I mean, I've got, trust me, I've gotten an education losing money over the years that I, I made a lot of mistakes I know could have been avoided if I had had a really good system and that I plugged into and a good coach that was holding me accountable to make good decisions. So um, if you have any interest in just having a coach, a mentor walk you through getting started, which I think is money well spent, you can actually go to dealfarm.net slash coaching and maybe talk to one of our uh Talk to one of our analysts to see if that might be something you'd be interested in doing and see if it's a good fit for you or not. That's great. That's great. That's, that's the program that uh, where Ken and I coach and mentor people all over the country. So, hey, Ken, let me ask you one more question before we wrap this up. Uh, in the last episode, we talked about wholesaling. And, you know, one thing that sometimes people that say, I want to rehab, I just I want, I want to do what they do on HGTV or they want to do that for some reason. So you and I both know that you shouldn't rehab every house you come across. Even if it's a deal, there's a way to make money. Uh, it doesn't. It shouldn't necessarily be a rehab for you. So, do you have a sweet spot? And kind of, what advice could you give to people on when to rehab and when not to rehab? You know, for us, uh, we rehab a lot, and we, and we don't wholesale a lot because if there's money to be made, we typically try to try to fix it and, and sell it. And I'll be honest, we get a lot of deals that other people wouldn't do because I think we are willing to do additions, we're willing to do foundation issues, we're willing to kind of take on some of the bigger, nastier sure. projects that most people aren't willing to. So unless you've got the expertise to take on some of those really complicated ones, I'd probably steer clear of those. Um, but for us, we pass on the rehab projects where the numbers don't quite work for us, where yeah. we know to yeah. get top dollar we're going to have to really Cadillac it out and maybe the numbers don't flesh out, but that doesn't mean there's not another investor out there who, you know, isn't willing to give it a try yep. and maybe they can get their, you know, the, the work done cheaper for whatever reason. And so those are typically the ones that we pass on and then just try to wholesale. Yeah. And for new investors, you know, I, I would, I generally caution people to not rehab anything too low, too low end, like a value market value, ARV, because yeah. it's real easy to over rehab. True, and, or to not rehab anything that's at the high end because it's real easy to under rehab, right? There, those that's very good. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's part of getting good at this is making sure you know the right things to rehab versus everything. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this episode. But Ken, I, I got to tell you, on a future episode, I need to know where 
Cadillacing something out and pimping something out. We, I don't know which one of those is higher. On the, oh, well, uh, I think we could do a whole episode on the difference between cadillacking <laughs> and pimping. <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Rehabbing. We're going to be talking about some more great topics coming up in future shows. We'll see you then. Thanks. Did you like today's episode of the Deal Farm Real Estate Investing Show? If so, please help us out by visiting dealfarm.net, then following the links to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play to subscribe to the show and leave us a positive review. Your reviews mean the world to us and keeps us inspired to keep bringing you new content each week. Thanks for your help and see you on the next episode.